everybody and welcome to episode 96 of the Sunny 16 podcast. Yes, we are getting awful, awful close to show 100 and um, uh, we have some plans. We do have some plans. They're not completely firmed up plans yet, but it'll be fine. It'll be great. Um, it's me here this week. Uh, obviously, you probably figured that out. Uh, also here this week is the ever lovely Rachel. Rach, how are you? Hi Graham, I'm good, thank you. Um, not bad today. Uh, we've had sun, we've had rain, we've had you know all the all the lovely uh, springtime weather that Britain likes to throw at us. Um, so uh, I've uh, I have been out with uh, my camera um, a little bit, but um, but yeah, equally being rained on, uh, I've been trying to hide inside too. <laughs> oh, well, you're lucky because I've just had rain, and as a gardener, Aww. it's real hard to find much inside gardening to do so. <laughs> <laughs> you one of me. There was one sunny day last week. I really enjoyed it, and it turns out that that was spring, and it's over now. So <laughs> never mind. Um, also joining us this week, we are delighted to have with us um, a incredibly creative and wonderful person who I first got to know through Twitter, and have since enjoyed uh, through the various ways you share your work. Um, welcome to the show. Anil Mystery. Um, Anil, am I saying that the right way? <laughs> you are. Well, hello. Thank you very much for having me. I must say, I'm. Uh, I feel like I'm. A, I've arrived as a, a weirdo with a, a film camera. Oh, we now that I'm on the show. All weirdos. <laughs> to be honest, it's turning away weirdos. That <laughs> it's becoming more and more problem. They just we have an open door policy here, and they just keep wandering in. Um, Anil, it's it's fantastic to have you join us. Um, for for so many reasons. Um, first off, you are. Uh, incredibly creative person um it would be great actually if you could share a bit of your background um what you've done and what you do just around your general work uh, uh, you know before we even get to your photography because i find all sure. of that fascinating okay uh we'll sort of start at the beginning really uh, i'm gonna go right far back here because uh, i think it's quite quite relevant um i have a really key moment in my life and i was five years old at infant school and um, i drew a picture of a duck and I remember this moment vividly and the teacher liked the duck so much that she took me to see the headmistress who liked the duck so much that I got a sweet. <laughs> and this <laughs> gave me some weird artistic Pavlovian response. And from that moment on, I knew that I wanted to draw. You did. Hey. Pavlov's duck. <laughs> I started drawing and drawing and drawing and I just never stopped drawing, basically. So um, I've loved drawing and I have a very sort of photographic, eidetic memory, I think they call it. But... Um, I literally would not stop drawing. And um, by the age of Did 15, you keep getting was... sweets? Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. From strange people that I draw people. Pictures <laughs> <laughs> on corners, no. Um, and um, I, by the age of 15, I was selling T-shirt designs uh, on a freelance basis. To um, I come from Leicester. So there's a big, uh, they call the rag trade, lots of um, textile businesses there. And I started doing screen print T-shirt designs um, at that age. And I was selling my own T-shirt brands by the age of 18, 19, um so whilst I was studying my graphic design degree um I was uh, also I was running two or three t-shirt brands I ended up having some stuff displayed at the V&A and um put in books and stuff which was pretty cool and I ended up being sent to the states to try and sell my my streetwear stuff that I was designing so that was sort of at the heart of the, the um height of the rave era if you like um and then when I graduated, so I did graphic design and animation. Um, I started, I did a lot of stuff with video cameras. And I then um, joined HTV in Bristol uh, for a year. So I was part of this unit of six people who they picked to start making, six young people who they, who they picked to sort of start to make 
interesting new TV shows. So we made this local live daily TV show, which was the best way to describe it was it was the big breakfast, but um, <laughs> from five till six p.m. in the Bristol area. <laughs> uh, Probably we, still we the big breakfast. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> crazy guys. And we built our own TV studio and uh, broadcast gallery in the car park of HTV Bristol. Um, <laughs> and obviously the, all the old staff hated us because they had to train us. And essentially, you know, we were the future and we, we used crap cameras, but we didn't care. And um, we learned to um, shoot, direct, present. And so we did this show called Telly West. Uh, I presented a little cookery show on there called Cardboard Kitchen. Uh, our main presenter was a guy called Jason Bradbury, who now does The Gadget Show. I think he still does it anyway. I don't know. But um, he was part of that. And we did that for a year, and it was all mad and nuts. Then I got uh, picked up by Nickelodeon. So I moved to London, and um, I joined Nickelodeon, and I was directing their live morning shows, uh, where I got to use some really crazy kit. Um, we were using the, the, the first virtual studio and virtual puppets in the country. And this was back in 1995. <laughs> so we had these crazy robotic cameras using Israeli missile tracking technology. <laughs> I shit, shit you not. Um, and um, uh, I was there for a year. And then I got poached by uh, Paramount. So Paramount Pictures was starting a channel, a comedy channel. Um, and I helped to launch that. And I was there for 10 years. Um, and I started as sort of assistant producer and made my way up through uh, to becoming creative director um, of the channel. So there we, it was just amazing. We were, it was right at the heart of sort of great, the birth of great British comedy. So we had people around there like um, Matt Lucas, David Williams, Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg, Armstrong and Miller, um, the uh, Mighty Boosh guys. Everyone was around there. Everyone was making shows and it was this, environment where we could just make and shoot whatever we wanted to shoot so I was I was directing stuff as well uh, I worked on shows like um, Spaced um, and um, God Christ all sorts of stuff over there it was it was absolutely nuts so that was there for 10 years basically um, and there we used uh, lots of cameras so I was shooting I was directing film 35 mil film to make cinema commercials so shooting on Super 16 Super 35 but weirdly enough I, I you know, I sort of was doing it as part of a job. I wasn't really geeking out on the stuff. Um, I was more interested in the digital post-production, which was very exciting because computers were getting really powerful and you had really cool, sexy special effects and things you can do. So I loved the whole process, but I wasn't too particularly just enamored with the cameras, if you like. Um, so I was there for 10 years. Uh, I then left there and I worked for a company called Liquid TV who made TV title sequences. I left there after six months and I was poached by the Walt Disney Company. So I became a pan-European creative director. So I was overseeing nine of their TV channels across Europe. Uh, so nine, te nine creative teams were under my jurisdiction, if you like. So I was just on a plane all the time, going around Europe, sort of keeping an eye on how they were promoting Power Rangers. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not kidding. I, I went to a Power Rangers um, focus group in Los Angeles where... <laughs> They had to sit in a cinema where they, it was just full of kids and their mums and the kids had these little dials and they had to watch the Power Rangers and then turn the dial up when they felt excited and turn it down when they felt bored. I shit you not, it was just the most surreal thing I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. Needs more kicks. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, the, the, the science of Power Rangers, the science behind making Power Rangers exciting for kids. Um, so then I got um, laid off from Disney in 2006 seven 
just when the credit crunch hit. So that was a bit of a scary time. So for three years, I couldn't get a proper job. So I started doing all sorts of things um, and I diversified. So I started, uh, I started doing stand-up comedy. I learned to do stand-up and tried that out. Um, I started painting and selling my art. And then I started just um, basically working as a creative thinker, is the best way to put it, um, and just employing myself out and charging myself out by the day to ad agencies uh, to come up with ideas for stuff. And this was something I really enjoyed. Um, I realized that sort of, you know, I just like being creative and I like coming up with ideas. And a lot of the time I'm too impatient to follow stuff through. So I like to just do the exciting idea bit and then run away and do something else. <laughs> and leave everybody else to sort it out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you know, working as a full-time creative director, imagine it, you know, I was running, when I was at Paramount, I was running, like, I was overseeing a team of over 20 people. And imagine writing 20 appraisals a year and dealing with 20 lots of staff problems. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I, li- I liked, you know, developing staff and working with people and all that stuff, but it takes it out of you. It stops you from doing the things you really, really want to do yourself. Mm. Um, and as you get older, you sort of start to just want to do the things you want to do. And you have, you know, especially if you've done the other stuff, you know, it's, it's yeah. like I had nothing to prove there. And yes, I can manage staff. Be great. Now let me just have a bit of fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so then I joined um, a company called Experience Worldwide. Uh, um, and they did what they, they says on the tin, really. We came up with um, exciting experiences for, uh, it's called experiential. So the idea is nowadays, um, when people uh, try and sell you a product, they don't just make a TV ad or a poster. What they'll do is they'll create an integrated campaign. So you might see a poster where that poster might have uh, an address of a website and you go to the website and you get engaged with that brand in something exciting. And then there might be a festival that that brand is organized to sp- sponsored by that product that you can go to and win tickets to. So it, it sort of joins the dots from one um, medium to another. And that's called an in- integrated campaign. So you're keeping people hooked throughout um, the lifespan of a product or the lifespan of an idea but it's also about hooking the right people so you know um, the influencers if you like um so long story short we just you know it's just coming up with clever ways of getting people to buy shit <laughs> <laughs> well i mean god it's kind of hard to know really what to say after that um Sorry, although in, i mean yes paramount walt disney um you know all of these places i can understand why being here with us is probably the biggest thrill of your life but <laughs> um, <laughs> well they're not the weirdest thing that you've done clearly that is one hell of a cv so in some ways actually i can understand why given the kind of incredible breakneck side of creative life that you've lived uh actually these more sedate world of analog photography might offer some respite. How did you get into that? Because you said that when you were involved um, with the, you know, the the filmmaking and stuff like that, you enjoyed using the tools, but never really got into it particularly. Um, when did you get into actually just stills photography, and well, and why? It's weirdly, it's been quite recently. It's only been over, I'd say, over the past three or four years. Um, so going back, um, I, my big secret. I'm, I'm coming out here on a podcast. Uh, I have a, a big. Uh, secret which is that i'm um slightly colorblind now back in the days when i was becoming a creative director and a designer all these agencies and doing this stuff if you admitted to being colorblind you simply would not get a job there was no chance i didn't even i love drawing i didn't do o-level art because i was colorblind so it was this horrible thing where i was kept slightly apart from the thing that i really loved um and i always had to find other ways around 
to do things. So uh, you imagine I, I'm directing a live television show. I'm in a, a TV gallery. I'm, I'm directing a show that's going out across the country. And I'm looking at basically when you uh, direct a show, you have to calibrate the cameras. So the cameras in the studio have a cable come through into the gallery and you can see the uh, color feed, if you like, the color histograms on these monitors. Um, and you're meant to adjust them to make the colors correct. Now, I would just have to bullshit my way through it and get one of the engineers in. Uh, it's a lovely scouser bloke called Graham, and he'd always come and go, hey, all right, you're looking a bit green there, Anil, and he'll sort of sort everything out for me. And I'd say, oh, no, thanks, mate, thanks, I was a bit too busy. And basically, I just sort of, you know, just chanced it for years. And um, I, I'd always have people around me, but, you know, you'd be in meetings, and it's really tough. You'd be in a meeting, and someone go, well, what do you think of that shade of blue? And I'd go, mm, it doesn't bother me too much. I'd just be vague until I got another opinion or a thought because it's it's scary because if you get caught out you're stuffed whereas nowadays it's actually not a big deal I was I was working at an agency the other day and there was a designer who's working on a brand a set of brand guidelines for a big brand he's openly colorblind yet no one gave a shit and uh, that's great because I think something like 12 percent of men are slightly colorblind yeah it's very mm -hmm. common um so I um I had my first darkroom experience uh, on my degree course, um, we were doing a black and white photography module. Uh, but I went in the dark room and this is when it was horrible because I'm slightly red, green, colorblind. My eyes could not pick up the frequency of red light, the wavelength of red light in the dark room. So it was literally <laughs> a dark room. I'm not joking. It was like walking around with your eyes shut. I, I was literally blind and it was awful. And I had to sort of just lie my way through this thing. And I came out and I just sort of, you know, I said, oh, photography is not for me. And it kind of broke my heart because I bloody loved it. But I just stayed away from it because I knew it would be another thing I just couldn't do. So I could, you know, I could technically paint, but I couldn't paint a portrait because I know I'd get the colors wrong. So I stayed away from it. Um, I could, I love taking photos, but I didn't want to go anywhere near a dark room. So I just kind of left it. So it, it was about three years ago, I just decided to buy a DSLR and started playing with it again and sort of taught myself photography again you know the, the very very basics all in manual mode and I started playing with the camera and as with anything I, I I can't go halfway I started to geek out um and then I what did I buy? I had a little Canon 100D um then I bought a Nikon D750 um and started to just just up my sort of game with the with digital photography but then because of the whole lens thing I had a Nikon FM3A that I bought for my wife years ago uh back in 2006 uh, I've written a, a couple of pieces on it I was drunk it was Christmas I didn't <laughs> know buy her and she was uh, she went to art college as well so she had a knackered old Olympus OM1 uh, which didn't work anymore I thought I burst into you know Jessup's on Lon in London on Oxford Street give me the best film camera you've got they tried to sell me a DSLR and I wasn't having it and I ended up walking away with the Nikon FM3A which I gave to her which she'd never really used um, so it just sat there in a box and we when one day we were moving house and I thought what's this gold Nikon box and I opened it up and I thought holy shit there's that Nikon camera <laughs> and uh, so I pulled it out and I had all these this uh, Nikon 28mm and 55mm lenses. I realized that I could put them on my DSLR as well because um, it's all F-mount. So um, it suddenly sparked me using those lenses on the, the, the digital camera and the film camera. And I started to suddenly get into it because now you can get really good quality scans. Um, and I love the workflow as well. I love playing around with scans and things um, afterwards. Um, and... 
then I just realized there was this whole world of beautifully, beautifully made cameras out there, and they're just bloody gorgeous. And um, it was just, uh, um, you know, men and information. Uh, we just love it. So suddenly this whole world of new shit to learn about. And I was just sucking it all up from everywhere. So I've just organically amassed a whole bunch of cameras and started to learn about them and, you know, see how my vision of the world and my creative mind sits with all these cameras and what they can achieve so half of it is you know just loving the design and the way these cameras look and feel you know i, I won't lie sometimes i'll just buy a camera because i think it's pretty because uh, they're beautifully engineered objects um but then also i, I love the results you get i, I love you know I, I love the look and feel you get from different cameras and different lenses and all the permutations and combinations of that um but then i also realized that they they just you know, they they started to help my work as well as as a creative. Um, I, I now carry a camera around with me always, everywhere I go, and it's helped me to to relax. I think that's the best way to put it, and that's the the thing I love most about photography is that when I look through a viewfinder, that is my whole world and universe stripped down to that moment. There is now this rectangle I'm looking through. All the ex external world has disappeared. I'm just framing that moment. And it's very hard in this day and age, especially with digital technology. I find myself just staring at a smartphone every 20 seconds. There's too much noise everywhere. Um, and it helps me to focus. It helps me just to enjoy that moment. And, you know, it's that whole mindfulness thing through photography. And I think that, that's, that's really helped me in a lot of ways, uh, especially when I'm, I've got not much to do. Because when I don't have much to do, being a freelancer, I just get into trouble. I'll end up going to a pub or, spend, you know, I'll just, do, just get bored and do silly stuff. Whereas having the camera has given me something and a purpose to do. So when I'm not working, I'm taking some cameras out for the day. I'm going somewhere, meeting people on the street, making new contacts. And then, I, you know, taking all these shots with different cameras. And then I'll have stuff to add to my portfolio and to talk about in my professional side of things as well. So it's got, it's got this lovely cycle and circle of helpfulness in, for me as an individual. Um, and also uh, in terms of my, my career and my and I'm slowly starting to make money out of my photography in, you know, different ways. So I, I rambled on a bit there, but um, <laughs> there's got lots, to, got lots to say. No, it's brilliant. Um, I'm interested because you're somebody whose entire life has been um, in producing creative works. How do you find it when you do go out with a, a camera? Because I know you said you find it a, a good way to relax and unwind. But um, are you able to separate the part of your brain that is in full-on production mode from your photography? Or do you just manage to incorporate it so that when you go out, you are um, thinking about, okay, well, what is this? What am I doing? What is this building towards in, in a more holistic way than arguably like somebody like myself uh, and, and many others I know who just go out and go, well, I'm going to try and take some pictures of some things today and it's far less thought out. Well, I, I think sometimes I have a specific purpose. Um, so some, I, I always jot down thoughts for projects on my phone um, so that when I'm, I've got nothing to do, I look at this little playbook I've created of things that I can do today, if you like. Because also sometimes the weather, you know, affects what you do. But then I've also tried to work around that. So I've got sort of a couple of Canon A1s um, waterproof film cameras, which are fantastic to shoot with um, when it's raining. It's pissing down with rain. You take one of those out, put a black and white roll in it and force the flash. You just get some really interesting, gorgeous shots. And it gives you a reason to go out and shoot. But sometimes... Uh, 
I'd say it varies. Sometimes I have a very clear idea what I want to do uh, and I'm very purposeful about it. So some days I'll force myself to go out and, you know, right, and you're going to take a bunch of street portraits today. Um, but sometimes I'll just let the day flow and because so, I feel that way. And that comes down to my um, insomnia as well, which I suffer from. <laughs> um, sometimes I'll be up very early. You know, I'll be leaving the house at half six because I haven't slept all night. And at moments like that, hey, there's not many people around. Um, and be my brain's just in this half awake zone so I'll just wander around and wait for a coffee shop to open and then just see where the day takes me um, so sometimes I, I, I deliberately don't want to know what I'm going to shoot in the day and I force myself to enjoy just turning a corner and seeing what's there and really slowing the hell down um, that it's been very good for me that because I find it hard to switch off and as a therapeutic tool I think photography is incredibly powerful um, but then some days I just cannot switch off. Um, I'll be honest, some days, you know, um, I'm walking around and everywhere I look, I'm, I'm just trying to work out angles. It's like, you know, that scene in Terminator, he's walking around and scanning everything, look at every corner <laughs> and everything. And it, it drives me nuts. It drives me to distraction. It just pisses me off. And I start to sort of hate the fact that I'm taking this all so seriously. Mm. Um, so I, I try to enjoy it and do it with a pinch of salt, but I'm also aware that I'm quite driven. Um, so those two things are always, you know, in, in tension with each other, uh, but one helps the other really. Um, and I've found that, um, I'll also, I mean, I suppose I'll, I sometimes I'll force myself to shoot a particular way by taking a particular camera out. Uh, you know, uh, for me, for a good example is an XA2 and Olympus XA2 is a great camera just to take out and play with and not get too stressed about and not even worry about focus. And I, I really enjoy that. Um, I love half frame cameras because you're less precious with shots and you have loads of them. But I found myself if I, you know, if I took my Leica out, um, my M7, I was just getting to, oh, you must take great photography with this. It's a Leica, <laughs> you know. That's why I've, I've ended up selling it. But um, I, it, it just wasn't, it was making me take it all too seriously. And all, I was also too precious with the camera. You know, I, I was sort of worried about it getting scratched or dented. And it was like, oh, come on, this is a, a, a creative tool. So enjoy it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so I, I, I think as a creative, um, it's helpful uh, to have the camera. But I've got to remember that I'm not when I'm not working, that I'm not working. I have to remind myself because I jump at it with a you're at work sort of approach and that sort of sense of you must come away with important photography every shot must be great and fantastic but it, it doesn't you know i'm using it as a, a fun thing it's a sketchbook for me yeah and that's what i'm telling myself it's we were talking about this the other day and um and in some ways i i, I although it's very different i have the same kind of problem in that what i do for a living is what a lot of people do as a hobby you know i'm a gardener and yeah. I find it essentially impossible for me to garden as a way to relax. If there's some garden that needs doing at home that I'm told needs to be done at home, I will just approach it as if like, right, we'll just get in and get this done because it's work. Because when have I'm doing got, this, I'm at have work. Have you got a crap garden? So, do I have a what? Sorry, a crap garden, and it's like mechanics always have crap cars. Oh, absolutely. You know, they only work on their own. No, no. If the sun's shining, I'm either out in somebody else's oh. garden or doing something else, taking pictures. <laughs> the last thing I want to do is waste time on my own garden. But my yep. partner has opinions on whether her garden should be kept tidy, and um, yeah, <laughs> it's just just it is a it is a struggle to um, separate when your work brain is so built around a certain set of actions and like so for you it's the you know the creating side and for me it's like well this is when i'm holding these tools i'm i'm in work mode um yeah. 
So I'm interested. One of the main reasons that we wanted to talk to you tonight is um, you have, in the last couple of weeks, um, released. Well, is it, is it the last? It's the last week, isn't it? I think practically that these. Yeah, are, lo- yeah, it came out last week. Um, a new photo book that you've created in collaboration with some other uh, reprobates. I think is the word that I would use. Um, it's. We'll get into it in more detail, but is this something that you had the idea of? and you went out to create, or is this something that organically grew from something that you found was happening in your photography anyway? Um, I think it was something that slowly grew. I, I realised, I mean, uh, I'm sure we'll talk about it in depth, the book is, um, it's a photo, photo book of photographs of dumped mattresses. Now, <laughs> um, I just think they're beautiful objects, and every time I saw one, I just had to photograph, take a photograph of it. Um, they just look out of place in the middle of streets and they just look tragic. Um, and I just thought, you know what, I'm going to just start taking photos of these. I don't know what I'm going to do with them. Um, and every time I took one, I'd add it to um, a gallery on my website. Um, and eventually I felt I had enough to do something. Um, so I thought I would um, just take a, um, put them together. But then I, I realized that just photos of mattresses isn't quite enough. Um, a man <laughs> I mean, cannot live on mattresses. You think it alone. would be? <laughs> yeah, but I, I think I think I, I realised that they, they were lovely things to look at, and that you can you know have a laugh in that sort of you know. There's that guy who's got that sh- uh, brilliant site called Shit London. You know, people just take photos of shitty things they see on the streets, and it can be funny to a point. Or you know, because there's always you always see dumped shopping trolleys, for example. That's another classic thing mm. you always see, you know, chucked half sticking out of a canal or in an alleyway or whatever. And I, I, I wanted to make something more interesting and give it a bit more context. So uh, I sort of just sat there and thought a bit more about it because it's very easy. And um, I think we talked about this the last time we had a little natogram about it's very easy to make a photo book of stuff quickly and have people feel, oh, I'll just whack some stuff in a, you know, I've taken some photos on film. They're important. Um, and, uh, you know, spend a load of money creating this book. And I've suddenly I've got this little zine thing. But what is the point of it? You know, what is the point of this thing I've made? And I want to make something a bit more than just a bunch of quirky photos of mattresses. So I had a little think. And I actually, I, I put my work hat on and sort of applied a bit of thought strategy to it and sort of brainstormed it out a little bit and thought, what is it about these things that I like? And what's you know, what's the universality of these things that, that people can identify with? Yes, they're dump mattresses, but um, questioning myself, like the, why, you know, as in, why do you like the manual? And I realized that they kind of remind me of me a little bit as I'm getting older. You know, I was once full of spring and bounce and perfect and everybody loved me. And now I'm a bit withered <laughs> and a bit saggy. And, um, and you're in soaked? And stained? Yeah, uh, yeah you've been soaked <laughs> all the time and covered in all sorts of stains. And, and I've finally been kicked out of the house. But I just love the way they, they you know, they, they're so, you anthropomorphize these things because they're just, the way they just sit and sag, they look like someone just sat slumped against the pavement. I think they're beautiful things. And they also look like sort of objects from a, some, you know, abstract art exhibition or something. So I just started to capture them all. And I thought what would be nice is to, taking that point of view of as a bloke uh, being of my age that I can identify with a mattress what do other blokes of my age think of or how do they feel when they see those images and what is on their minds so I started to get in touch with people I know uh, friends from all sorts of different walks of life uh, and I put a call out through Facebook and various other means and I said to them right 
guys, I'm putting together this book and I would like to get some thoughts from you, be it a poem, a little musing, a little, you know, misanthropic maudlin thoughts, whatever you want. Tell me what you think of when you see these dumped mattresses. Um, I started to get all this stuff back. Um, and it was really interesting. Um, I had all sorts of things. I might, I might read a couple out later. Um, mm. But, you know, some people wrote a poem. Uh, some people was, just gave a heartfelt thought on how they feel at this stage in their life, uh, at this age. And I realized that all these things put together next to these pictures of mattresses, it just felt like something a bit more than the sum of its parts. It was just a, lot more, a, bit, a bit more interesting than I actually thought it would initially be. It was less, it was a, a, just quite poignant, really. Um, yeah. So I thought, you know what, I, I, I could do something with this. So I decided that um, maybe I'll sell this, um, but give the money to a charity. Um, and it just got me thinking about men and men, how men find it hard to talk about their feelings. Um, and um, I, I discovered a charity called Calm, um, which is the campaign against living miserably. Um, and they're dedicated to helping um, young men um, who feel suicidal uh, because apparently, according to their statistics, um, suicide male suicide is the single biggest killer of men under the age of 45 in the uk um so for example in 2015 75 percent of all uk suicides were male so it's a, it was a, it's a very male area suicide uh, for a start um and i think part of that is you know men men don't talk about their feelings so the, the cathartic side of this book and this thought that you know here's a bunch of blokes and they'll just talk about how they feel and they really are and these are friends of mine who decided to just open up and I thought that was nice and you know for someone to look at that and go you know what we all feel that way and it's all right to talk about how you feel because men bottle things up you know because it's a very macho culture we live within also our support networks aren't always as great um we only cry in private if we can you know we're, we're we're just not great at doing that sort of thing and then sadly you know we're very practical as well so when it comes to suicide they you know it's a quite a it's quite a thing that, that that men can do and do well it seems um but it's just something you know i've got two i've got two boys uh one's 18 one's 15 you know so i have two young men in my life um that i love and care for and just as someone of a certain age, I thought, you know what, let me try and use this photography to do something interesting So um, and something that gives something back and helps. So I've made 150 copies of this book called Goodnight Sweetheart um, and all the profits from it, I mean, every single penny of profit uh, is going to go to uh, the charity Calm. So I'm hoping uh, through the sale of the books to raise over a thousand pounds. Uh, by the time that the, uh, the books have been sold. I've had a friend who's a printer, one of my um, printers that I, um, my clients use. He's done me an amazing favor. So this book is a beautiful object. It's um, A5, it's been perfect bound. And it's, I um, can't remember how many pages, uh, 52 pages, I think, of um, 170 gram recycled paper with a 350 gram recycled cover. It's just a really lovely book. So it's a really high quality thing that I've put together. Um, and it's just full of lovely, interesting little thoughts. And um, everyone who's got it um, has been really, really pleased and surprised by it that, wow, I, I never thought a photo book could be something like this. Um, and so, you know, A, please go out and buy it. <laughs> uh, but B, I, you know, it's, uh, it's just some, become something much better and more important than I thought it would be. And I'm quite pleased about that. Yeah. How did you feel seeing it for the first time when you actually got it back from the printers, Anil? 
Oh, it was it's amazing because uh, well, the, the scariest bit is actually sending it to print and just hitting mm-hmm. button, the go button because I hmm. a million times for typos, you know, again and again and again. I finally I thought right, you know, until I was going cross-eyed, I just sent it. But uh, my printer delivered it himself, so he, he was taking his daughter out to uh, Brighton one morning. He stopped off at uh, my house and um, had these three boxes. I was so excited. I opened it up and I thought, holy crap, this is gorgeous i mean i i've done photo books before with blurb uh which come over from the u.s you know these a4 ones which are lovely as well but this thing has just a a texture to it and a, a quality which is just not it just feels like a lovely little book of poetry it's just something that's really quite unlike a, a, a typical photo book so i'm really excited because the words are um it's the words and the pictures together that make something exciting and i think and and, and different uh, and I think that I learned something there. I think this idea of words and pictures together is something I think that's going to be more important with any photo books I do in the future as well. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I have to say, of the photo books that I have particularly, photo books and zines as well that have particularly clicked with me, it, it is the ones where there there are words with photos Um in whichever form they come um and and i think the combination with your with your photo book it is fantastic because the subject matter the these mattresses they they have a real pathos to them you know these yeah. these are things which were an integral part of somebody's life or some people's life you know and and the things that they've seen and been party to over the years you know they, they are something that is so intimately involved in our lives in a way that kind of almost nothing else is and and then they're just discarded that then yeah. they're, they're out there and um and that that link that you've tied together with you know men in their 40s and onwards and that feeling of um Ocon being set adrift, uh, it was like, well, yes. you, you've, you've, maybe you've had your kids. They're starting to grow up now. Um, you, you know, what, what's, what's the point of you anymore? <laughs> now, now you're just carbon matter occupying space. Why are you here? Um, I've because- got an example of one here. I've, I'll just read this one from this is uh, from one uh, accompanying one of the pictures of a mattress. This is a little poem from a friend called uh, Dave Evans. So here we go. I'm a pull-down paradise, an old parking lot. My future's in the past, that's all that I've got. Heads have stopped turning as I pass on the street. When I go to a gig, I sit down in a seat. It takes ages to scroll down to my year of birth. I've left nothing but footprints on the face of the earth. I'm a broken spring neath a soiled quilt, where once the juice of love was spilt. But now my stains are sad and brown. They're carting me off to the dump out of town. It's uh, beautiful, <laughs> beautiful, disgusting. Yeah, I mean, but that that really does sum it up perfectly. And I mean, because of the incredible varied life you've had, there's an incredible varied cast of people who have contributed to this, including um, people who will be only too well known to listeners to this podcast. Um, I did particularly, and it seemed particularly well suited to uh, the delightful Hamish Gill, a piece on essentially being confused by toothpaste. <laughs> I, I love that one. It's brilliant. It's just a bewilderment of the modern age. And I, I, it's just the older I get, my kids laugh at me, but it's, I love it. It's, uh, hey, I'm not, I, I want to read this out, but I don't want to, because I'd like everyone to buy this book, please, because it's mm-hmm. all going to No spoilers. But, 
yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> it's just it's brilliant it's just such a hamish piece it um, really is all I say. he's just having a rant about the the sheer amount of toothpaste that you see and what is the difference between them all it's just it's just a fantastic fantastic little passage he's written also um uh m emulsive uh has written a really really gorgeous little uh passage uh towards the end of the book and i mean genuinely it's the penultimate thing i've put in the book uh because it's just so evocative and so poignant yeah um, it's lovely lovely thought so I, I think the thing i'll say about the book as well it's it's funny as well it's not all down and depressing and that's not the point of it it's a point the point is we're all having a laugh at the fact that we can think that way and blokes do think that way and it can be funny um i'm just going to read a very very short one this is from a very famous stand-up comic called logan murray who um taught me stand-up comedy so i'm just going to quickly read his little thing here so here we go you might as well seize the moment because your last few seconds on the planet if you live long enough are likely to be one shrivel uh so, right let me start again sorry <laughs> You might as well seize the moment because your last few seconds on the planet, if you, if you live long enough, are likely to one shrill scream of pain and fear and bewilderment. Then you're dead. So, you know, go for more walks. <laughs> it's an awesome sentiment to have. I, when you um, put the call out, because as you said, it's such a diverse thing. Yeah. And you're, you're asking people to to really think about how they feel i mean were there any particularly emotional responses to this that you got from people there were uh, well there was one i was upset about because i i forgot to put it in and i felt really awful um there were a few that were getting a bit sweary that's something i wanted to just i so a couple i edited down some of the um the, the, the swear words i don't mind a swear word but i didn't want the book to get too sweary i wanted it to sort of stay on this right side of so the idea of editing other people's words was quite a a challenge and interesting in its own way but it was I only had to do it one or two um but on the whole um sorry what was your question again sorry I... <laughs> <laughs> no I, I just i think when you asked people did, were there any particularly emotional responses to this did anybody yeah. did it really chime with people yeah, I mean, I, I was quite amazed by how honest people were. Even when they were being funny, they were being honest. Mm. Um, and that's that's what I, exactly what I wanted. It didn't all have to be, um, you know, oh, God, the world's crap and I'm going to die. We all know that. And, you know, it, this was all about just, just talking about how we feel. But everyone was honest in their own way. Um, and I like the, the variety of honesty, if that makes sense. Some mm. people are just being honest in that they're angry about things. Some are honest at the, in that at their bewilderment. And some are honest in that, you know what, I just feel sad sometimes. Yeah. Um, and, and I like that. I, that's what I really wanted in this. I wanted this sense of, you know, pathos, but not just depression. Um, but then there's a great one my friend Tony Higgins did about how you, your kids hate you and then you die. And I thought <laughs> funny again it's these these are all every every page in this book is something that everyone male or female will be able to identify with like, you know what i felt like that at one point in my life and that's what i like about it. there's a proper proper spectrum of <laughs> of joy in this book yeah. um can i yeah. can i ask how, how did you kind of pitch this to people in the first place to get them involved and what have you clearly you know with your diverse background and and how you've managed to craft your career through this you you do this well you know um but I just think it's it's an interesting um project and proposition you know to how do you get people on board with the idea of I've gone out and taken 
photos of lots of mattresses, you know, and <laughs> not to try to, you know, say that in any bad way. I was just trying to work out yeah. how you how you pitch that to somebody. I think I've been quite lucky in that, you know, all the people that I got in touch with, they, I knew that I, I was picking them because I knew that they, hopefully they would come up with the goods um, mm-hmm. in one way or another. But, um, or even spring into action, if you, as you will. Um, but I, um, I, they sort of know me and know mm. what kind of crazy daft things I do because I'm always involved in one project or another. I've through my, you know, the last decade, I've created so many ridiculous daft blogs of for one reason or another that sort of live and die. I did one called Paper Chap um, when I was working in London full time. I was commuting from the south coast to London every day for three years, um, mm. which sent me pretty bloody mental because that's four hours a day on a train on a good day um and i had a lot of idle time on a train so i i started a blog called paper chap and i told myself right every single day i'm going to draw all over one page of the newspaper um mm. and either in reaction to the stories on it or to the headline picture or if there's a picture of you know tony blair or whoever or whoever i could you know really go to town um and the idea was to do it one page a day for a year. I got to about 65 pages and I just got bored with that as well. But it was quite a nice thing so to many, do. So many penises mm. you can draw on there. Exactly, <laughs> on politicians' heads. But um, <laughs> I, I even got uh, someone even wanted to publish that thing, but I just didn't, couldn't get to the end of it. But I, I just, um, I, basically, my friends are used to me doing stupid things and um, they were happy to be a part of it. Um, and also, I think they, you know, most people, um, I, I said to them, I don't want you to hold back. I want you to really tell me how you feel. And some of them got in touch. Some of them got it straight away. Some of them weren't sure. Mm. And I said, look, I just want to know what you're thinking, yeah. you know, at this stage in your life. And how do you feel about your life? And, and, my, and these friends are in all different stages. Some of them, mm. you know, they're married with kids, happily married, or are they, you know, um, are they, you know, what is true happiness? Some are single, some, everyone's living different lives, but we all share humanity and it was nice to sort of just collect those things and they were they were really open to it I think mm. so if they were total strangers um mm. they'd probably think well, who the hell is this person what the hell is he on about because uh, um they were all friends of one mm. form or another it was a lot easier than just going cold to a you know someone sure. I don't know yeah they were, they were more understanding of an email that basically says <laughs> I've got this picture of a vomit stained mattress and it made me think of you um <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Um, How flattering. <laughs> it, it, it is. Um, I know you haven't seen it yet, Rach, um, but I will yeah. bring it up to share it with you. Thank it, you. It, it really, it, it is a lovely, um, it's a lovely thing. It, you know, it, it's just a lovely thing to have. The the pictures and the worst together are great. And as you've already said, Anil, the the spectrum of writing in it, it, it it's not a depressing book in any way, shape or form. It's um it's often a very funny book um and and it also it is quite moving and as you mentioned earlier about the piece that em wrote that's you know that's an incredibly heartfelt sincere piece in a way which really made me question whether em wrote it or whether he got somebody else to do it because the, uh, level, the level of sincerity and heartfeltness there just did ghostwriter did, didn't didn't seem it, it made me feel like he might have a soul after all um wow. but yeah, yeah well it, it's, you know we're all many shades of gray it's not just you know black and white is it you know we can all relate to those human emotions i think so 
Yeah, that's, yeah, I, that's awesome. Yeah, and I think the thing is, it's the, the whole point of this is, you know, you look at any human being on the outside and think, oh, that person's doing well in life, or he looks happy, or he looks, you know, but no one actually knows what anyone's truly thinking, mm-hmm. and it's yeah. very easy to think that person's got it easy or got it better than me, and that's just nonsense. You know, money, money is irrelevant. Uh, yes, money is important to a point, but you can be, you know, really rich and seemingly successful. That doesn't mean that you're not haunted or that you can't stop thinking in a certain way. So. Mm-hmm. Mm. you know mental health and just you know the idea well, of being happy yeah and how is, and how we value success like how we yeah. how we class success is is so different isn't it for for everybody um yeah and- also you know because it, it's weird like you know life suddenly starts to move very quickly when you gra- after you graduate or you know you hit your 20s and mm. everything's fun and then suddenly things fly by suddenly your friends are getting on with their lives in one way or another some people go off there and do that and, and you know it's you start to lose your reference points um and then it starts to raise this question of you know where should I actually be what should I be doing and how should I be feeling mm. um, the reality is I think and that's I think that's the other thing about this but I want to get across no one bloody knows and it doesn't matter you know it's, we're all, yeah. we're all, we're all just winging it. Absolutely, and that's and yeah, let's wing it together. Yeah, and that's what I think. This, as you said, there's 150 copies. Is that all that you're going to make of these? Uh, yeah, that's the idea at the moment. I would say right now I've sold about 30, so there's some to sell, uh, but I haven't really given it a good push. So I'm hoping no. that the, this will help. Um, yeah. And um, there's no, you know, time limit on how I want to sell them, but I'd like to sort of, you know. Uh, push them out as, as much as possible yeah. but i will be just selling them and selling them until they're gone um so yeah fingers on, crossed really yeah honestly listeners um even this, this is well, the thing that i got away from this is this is this is not something that i looked at and thought well i'm a photographer and therefore this is i'm enjoying this this is something which um if you just have somebody in your life of a certain age that you think uh, this might it's a it's a lovely thing to give us a gift it's yes. a lovely thing to have it's a lovely thing to give us a gift you've made a good point there uh because th- you won't look at these pictures of mattresses and go oh i reckon that was a shot with a carl zeiss biogon 90 millimeter f 2.8 you'll just go wow well who would dump a bloody mattress on the street like there on that thing right in the middle you know it's it's the content sort of overrides the 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 need for technical perfection if that makes sense this isn't about bokeh <laughs> this is about raw dirty shots of mattresses found in the middle of bloody streets or outside a church in one case uh, a street on hong kong in hong kong in another case um and this is a book that is not just for fans of photography I, this is something that i, I think it's a, it's a little art book it's also a little poetry book so it's something that everyone will enjoy it's also a great gift for that uh that miserable person in your life or yeah. that happy person in your life yeah just that person in your life who might feel reassured by knowing that everybody else is in the same boat with them um, it, it's lovely i think the 150 copies will go very very quickly um and we'll, we'll do it again at the end but just so we don't forget now where should people go if they want to get hold of a copy of this or maybe find out some more information about it okay um you go to my website which is uh, www.anilmystryphoto.com so that's a-n-i-l-m-i-s-t-r-y photo.com and then there you'll be able to see the icon for the shop and click on the shop and it's the only thing in the shop. <laughs> Easy to find it. And, <laughs> All um, up in the shop. 
And if people want to find out more about the charity that is yes. benefiting from this, from Calm, where should they go for more information about that? Because that sounds hugely important as well. Yes. That's, um, so they're called Calm, uh, the campaign against living miserably. And you go to www.thecalmzone.net. Um, now, um, you may have seen something they've done recently. They did a thing in conjunction with ITV. They made um, statues, 84 statues of men that um, they stood on the edge of uh, tall buildings in London. And these men looked like they were right on the edge of the buildings, all the way around, looking down. Um, and that sounds really sad and scary. The point of this was to highlight the fact that 84 men a week commit suicide in this country. Uh, there's an interesting little film um, on this, the site, and it shows the uh, families of some of the uh, people who committed, the young men who committed suicide, actually helping to make the models of the men. And they were actually taken as molds of other men um, to make these um, statues. So every single statue uh, is in this campaign has their own story. Um, so it all sounds... Um, very sad but it's just one of those things you know people do take their own lives and um it can be avoided and it can be helped and a lot of the time it's just things that build up in people um so you know just always keep an eye on the people around you and also always remember that you know no matter what someone puts out on the outside of themselves it doesn't necessarily mean that they're feeling great on the inside so always just be supportive yeah better yeah. advice could not be given um, and it's a thing we've talked about in the past with regards to photography and it's great that you're trying to help out from another angle with it we will take a break now and when we come back we will tackle the subject of street photography because you have some pretty great insight into that um, <laughs> and we need all the help we can get okay back in just a second we get into the street photography chat rach what have you actually been up to over the last week or so uh, it's been a busy week for me i've been doing quite a bit of video editing um i have also got a chance to run a smart materials cyanotype sun print workshop with actual sun would you believe <laughs> that was no. our one sunny day that i think that you mentioned um that was over in a library in tameside actually and um it was running the workshop inside the library, but they had some beautiful big windows and all the sunlight was coming in. I was like, perfect. I don't even have to get the lamp out. So uh, we spent most of the day um, sort of moving the table around that had the uh, that had the actual some prints um, exposing on it. Because obviously, as the sun was moving, we were having to move the table as well. So that's pretty funny. Um, so I was busy doing that. I had a couple of meetings with brides for our upcoming weddings and I managed to finish off a couple of rolls of film that were in my other non-cheap shots challenge cameras. Um, so uh, the, the new GAF one that I bought at the photographer show, don't remember I got that one along yeah. with <laughs> four others. Um, so I was busy sort of finishing those off and I finally got around to processing. Um, I had, I've, I had two disposable Ilford cameras from that actually were shot at my wedding, <laughs> um, which is a good 18, 18 months ago now, um, two years ish. And I finally got around to processing those at the weekend. So, uh, yay, uh, cracked those open and, um, processed those. I was quite chuffed with, uh, with some of the shots that came out. So, uh, yeah, pleased with that. It was really nice. That's awesome. That is what I've been up to. How about you, Graham? <clears throat> 
Well, I have been um, the lucky recipient of many, many fine things uh, this last week. Um, it really happened a lot of things. So I need to kind of roll through them all because, um, yeah, a lot of stuff has turned up on my doorstep. And for once, it hasn't just been bills and junk mail. So uh, I have from our good friend Stig, who we met at the photo show and who was one of the um, winners in last week's Cheap Shots Challenge. Stig shared a picture on Twitter uh, a few weeks ago now, um, this beautiful colour picture he'd taken with, I think it's with his... Um, it says Fuji medium format camera. He's got that tends to use quite a lot, I think. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But it's this beautiful color picture of, now I'm going to say leopard, and then he will correct me and go, no, it's some sort of jaguar. Anyway, regardless, it's some leopard looking cat. Um, I'm like, oh, I love leopards. I'd really like a print of that. And he very kindly not only sent me a print of that, but also also another picture, this really cool picture of a, a giraffe's body. And um, they're both just really lovely prints. And he sent me both those. So that was really nice. So thank you very much, Dick, for those. Um, also this week, I um, I got involved with a film exchange. So um, Ken Bryson over in Canada got in touch uh, after one of our recent shows where I was talking about my desire for fast colour film. And he said, well, mm. I've, I've got a role of um, Fuji Natura 1600, which I'm not going to use. So do you want to do a film swap? So I said, yeah, that would be great. So I think I sent him a roll of Silbera film and um, some some of my special homegrown vintage Ilford HP5 of uh, indeterminate past. I think it's like 1980s sometime. It's good and grainy. It's good, it's good grainy stuff for my bulk roll. And um, some sweets. And he sent me the roll of Fuji Natura, a roll of, um, I think it's one t- 120... Ectochrome, I think. It's one of the slide films. And uh what else did he send me, Rach? He sent me some OMGs. So Yeah, is that where they came from? Nice. Oh, I, I saw that a, picture. I will do a <laughs> film swap with anybody in Canada who will send me OMGs along with the film. <laughs> so that was really awesome. And... Um, just for for Annals' um, uh, sake, they they are lovely sort of little bites of chocolate crunchy um sweetness. <laughs> Um, little drops of heaven, really. Yes, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> they're just the best. They are. They are absolutely the best. If the manufacturers of OMGs are listening, which seems like a real long shot, but if somebody yeah, can please, yeah, nice then, try. Yeah, but please, could you, you know, f- find the UK market for them because we'll we'll eat them for sure. We'll eat them. Um, the other thing now. I talked in the past on the show about the fact that my Yashica 635 had died, that the shutter had failed on it. And I talked about my disappointing fallback results going to my Lubitel 166B and what an utter pile of crap that was and how frustrating that was. Um, and listener Chad Herbert took pity on my sad, sad state uh, and he got in touch and very kindly offered to send me a Yashica One Two Four, which, um, in, in his words, you know, it's a little bit battered around the edges, um, but he fixed it all up, and um, and he very kindly sent me this all the way from Boise, Idaho, um, and this was who we were talking about last week. And in return, I sent him a box of the most British of biscuits. Um, <laughs> apparently the hobnobs are going down very well. So, but there were, yeah, custard creams and Jaffa cakes and all sorts of real good stuff in there. Um, but anyway, so I now have this lovely Yashica Mat 124G and it is a thing of just great beauty. And 
I can't wait to get a chance to get out and put some film through it. Um, it will have to wait a little because it's oh, April is my busiest time of the year, even with the weather being an absolute crud fest, which it is at the moment. But I will be getting on to that soon. So um, thank you so much for that, Chad. It's fantastic. Um, and I really can't wait to get out with it. The final thing, I think, um, if I'm remembering correctly, that I've got through the post that we haven't already talked about. This is something that I bought. <laughs> <laughs> um so what did I, you buy graham <laughs> i bought <laughs> uh long story short i've bought a 250 foot roll <laughs> of kodak vision 3 200t um film so for anybody who's not familiar with this film this is one of kodak's uh movie um films uh, it's the one that was the you know, they they sell to people who are shooting films um uh the 200t is a tungsten balanced film uh 200 iso tungsten balanced film so that's pretty good for all the tungsten mm-hmm. shooting i do and because it's a movie film it does also have um the rem jet coating on it which i've only ever tried to deal with once and it all went quite badly wrong um and also as you pointed out um, to, <laughs> in the show notes i've never shot it either um but now i have 250 feet of it to really get to grips with it and so it's well a done tin. <laughs> as you can hear that's what a the tin play. sounds like so that's pretty good um yeah i'm a bit em told me the other day said uh, 250 feet that's about 50 rolls worth <laughs> which is this is going to last me for literally years. Um, so what I have to do, the next mission I have is to get some of this, because 200 feet, 250 feet correction is too much to go in a bulk loader. Those things will handle about 100 feet, um, which is a miserably piddling amount of film. Who only wants 100 <laughs> feet of an unfamiliar, awkward-to-use film? Um, so I have to spool some of this off I have to spool 100 foot of this off somehow in the dark. Don't ask me any questions because I do not have any answers. Um, Onto a bulk loader and then um, load it onto some rolls. But you know what I'm going to say, listeners? Uh, I'm going to... I want to share in this adventure. So assuming that I managed to do this without completely cocking it up, which we won't know until I've done it and cocked it up... um, but I'm going to have a little competition this week. Rachel took, when we were at the photo show uh, a few weeks back, Rachel took this lovely picture of me. Because, you know, she's a professional photographer. She, so she gets all the best angles on people and all the best looks. I just realised which one you're talking about. So, so Rachel, <laughs> Rachel took this lovely picture of me um, whilst I was... Uh, chatting to Craig from Lomography. Um, so keep an eye on our Instagram feed this week. I will put this picture of me looking awesome because I've been captured by a professional photographer, so I'm going to be looking my best. Um, on my phone. It was a phone photo, just so you know. Yeah, I mean, that's the tool of the generation. Um, mm. <laughs> that's my other wrestling name. <laughs> anyway, um, and this is going to be a caption competition. So I will put this picture up and we'll share it on Twitter and Instagram and on Facebook. And then, um, actually, Anil, you're a gentleman of wit and wisdom. <laughs> will will you judge this caption competition for Absolutely, us? Absolutely, yes. Yes. So um the show will go up on Thursday the what's Thursday, right? Twelfth. Thursday the twelfth. Um we will give it a week after that. So whatever the Thursday following that is. Um so we'll give it a week uh to do that and then Anil will judge the entries and I will send the lucky winner um a roll or two 
let's say a couple of rolls of indeterminate length and possibly completely light leaked and scratched. Um, Kodak 200T, Tungsten Balance film, because, you know, I've got 50 rolls of it, apparently, so it'd be rude not to share the love. Um, so that's very exciting. Uh, it'll Is be... it the film you've shot, Anil? <clears throat> uh, no. I've got some... What have I got? I bought, what did I buy with Kodak Pro Image? And I've got some... Because a lot of that stuff was repackaged, wasn't it? Wasn't Isn't Cine still the Kodak stuff without the Remjet? Yes, that's correct. Is that correct? Was that the one you like... were trying to buy, Graham? <laughs> <laughs> is that what they said it was? No, well, the thing is... When the, the photo on eBay of it with with the lid taken off and the actual film, <laughs> so you could see what it was. No, see, well, what it is, see, there's this website called... Uh, I can't remember what it's called now. I think it's Frame24 or something like this um, that I found. Um, and... I don't really feel like I'm kind of like, oh, this is going to ruin it for everybody because now more people will be able to find it. Because to be honest, you'll only end up like me if you go there. But this is a place which deals in um, selling film to filmmakers. And also they you know, they sell clearance stuff of offcuts and short ends, as they're called, which is what I've got, just a short 250-foot end. Um, and I wanted, when I first started looking, I really wanted to get some Kodak Double X um, because I really liked the look of that black and white film. And it does. Is that have... a film you shot, Greg? Yes, I, I've shot yes, exactly. Double X, yeah. <laughs> um, and also, Double X doesn't have Remjet. Um, so I was kind of keeping an eye on there, thinking, well, maybe they'll get some Double X and maybe I'll get some of that. Um, but they didn't, but they had this. And I went, well, I just want to buy something. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear and so it was either that or um the other one they had was the um 50d the 50 daylight and i thought all 50 iso film is less useful Britain, to me yeah, yeah. i mean yeah. and the thing with the 200t is although it is tungsten balanced um you can put a filter on it, and I have actually ordered a filter. If you get a number 85 Kodak Rattan filter, you can shoot it and get nice daylight tones normally. Um, and it drops the stop, so it drops down to about um, ISO 125, but that's still pretty good. Um, mm -hmm. or, or you can shoot it without a filter, and everything just has a bit of a blue look. And I was looking at um, some YouTube videos by uh, a gentleman, uh, I think this is right, Eduardo Goya Pavez, who was actually somebody who was mentioned in the um Easy, he was somebody who was recommended, mm. you know. Yes. Um he's got some good YouTube videos up and I was watching one because he got a bulk roll of it, um, only a hundred feet because he's, you know, not a big man like me. Um, <laughs> not not a big <laughs> idiot like me. Um but he was saying that these days he just tends to shoot it without a filter so he gets the full speed and then just corrects it in Lightroom. You know, you hit the hit the um uh What's the word I'm looking for? Preset? Um, not the auto. Yeah, the auto. You could change the, the light, the daylight, the light balance. The light balance, you? yes. There is a word that we are all absolutely failing to hit. But, um, yes. White listen, balance. Thank the you, white, white balance. balance. Oh, thank God, Rachel. That's We'd have definitely one. got emails. So, um, so, yeah, you can use it either way. But, um, yeah, I look forward to experimenting with this, <laughs> assuming I can even get it out of the tin and onto some sort of roll. <laughs> and, you should uh, shoot. You should shoot 200 takeaways at night with 200 tea. Oh, so you should go out at night and every kebab shop or chippy or Chinese restaurant you go by, you should just frame it and just get a shot because they're always dripping with lighting, aren't they? That's a good idea. And that That's can a be good awesome. Idea. And then you could just fire off loads. You know, everywhere you go, there's a takeaway. And also, because it's an excuse to eat at every takeaway as well. Yeah, so. Exactly. You could do a review of the food. 
Yeah, that sounds like a wonderful idea. Well, this is a perfect lead-on, actually, to the thing we said we were going to get to, a seamless transition to talking about street photography. Now, when you sent me um, a copy of your book, included in there, which I think is incredibly snazzy, is your little business card. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) um, And on the back of your business card, it says, hello, may I take your picture? Um, which seems like a great idea. So you recently wrote a piece, Anil, for Emulsive, um, and I cannot remember what the title of the piece was, but I'm sure you do. Yeah, all it's about called, it's called "How to Shoot Street Portraits: A Practical Guide." Today, it's almost as if you've read it today, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> it's right in front of me. <laughs> so this would be good because we've not had much in the way of conversations with street photographers on here in fact i think the only other person we've spoken to who does street photography um was nasa um way back last year um and you know and his approach is quite different to yours um and and um so i thought great we can really pick your brains about street photography so you talked in the, the first half about the fact that at one point in your um many and varied endeavors you you had a, spent some time doing um, stand up comedy, which uh, is an incredibly bold thing to do to stand up in front of people and try and convince them that you're a funny individual. Um, so there's obviously a level of confidence there. Was street photography a, a natural fit for you? How did you get into it? Well, um, <clears throat> I I've always in work. I've always had to, you know, get. A, I've, I've talked at seminars and lectures. Um, I, I have to, you know, do presentations in my job and pitch ideas for, for clients. So public speaking, if you like, getting up and talking has never been a biggie. But um, street photography is a, a quite a distinct, different thing. You know, if you're speaking, you know, at an event or something, people know you're there and why you're there. With uh, street photography, you're essentially cold calling a stranger in the middle of whatever they're doing on a busy street, and that. You know that that can be terrifying for people. Um, so the the stand up thing taught me a lot about um, stagecraft and engaging with people, and this idea that essentially human beings we like contact with other human beings. So you know you can ask someone something on the street, they might say f off, or they might say no thank you, or sorry I'm busy. But it's highly unlikely they'll say f off. They're more likely to just say you know. <laughs> sorry, I'm busy. And I, I, for me, the street photography thing was based around the simple thought that, okay, I can walk around and do quiet street photography, i.e. just shooting people without them knowing uh, and trying to be a bit sneaky. And I've seen people doing that. I walk around Brighton and I'll see someone with a telephoto lens. And I can tell they're actually shy to actually go and engage with the human being. So they'll stand, you know, with a 200 mil lens on one side of a road and photograph people on the other side. You can do it that way. You know, the kind of street photography you get, which gets a bit dull after a while, is just, oh, look, there's a photo of the back of someone's head or a silhouette in the distance. Or I, I like the photography when you actually literally look into someone's eyes and see into their soul. When someone is engaged with you and they're looking right down the barrel of the lens. And in order to get those shots, you have to speak to the person and you have to open that door of starting a, a conversation with them. Um, and it's something that, you know, I thought, right, I'm going to just go for this. And I started because you, you, my mindset with everything I do, every single thing work wise is look, what the hell have you got to lose? We're all going to drop dead one day. It's, uh, there's, it's, it's not a big deal, um, to just go and ask people, but for some people it's absolutely terrifying. And I, and I get that because the, the fear of, you know, someone 
you know, having a go at you in the middle of the street or just the fear of rejection or just not knowing what to say or how to say it or the thought that you'll approach someone and the words will come out all wrong in your mouth and you'll look like a fool and all these things sort of all happen at once and people clam up. Yeah. Um, and also the other thing is, you know, interesting. Every time you walk past a stranger, you don't know who they are. They're an unknown quantity, so it can be very scary. Um, but that was, for me, was like the challenge. And I've always seen street photography a bit like, we, I think we talked about it the other day, Graham, it's like landscape photography is a bit like fishing, whereas, you know, street portraits is a bit like hunting. You, yeah. you, you're going out with a particular intent, and you have to sort of chase down the kind of images you want a lot of the time. Um, so in that situation, you will get what you you work for it's as okay. simple as that okay what i would like to do is yeah. sort of work our way through one step at a time okay kind of, to, to give people listening um and, and like i said anybody who wants to read this in more depth should go to the emulsive article which is called yeah. how to shoot street portraits a practical guide by anel mystery but let's just go through a bit of it in in slightly quicker form so yeah First thing, when you are um, you're out on the streets, you want to take pictures of people. What are good do's and don'ts just when you're choosing the kind of people that maybe you should approach, or perhaps even better, the kind of people not to approach in the first instance? Okay, I, I think a lot of this you will already know through your instincts. You know, don't be in a part busy part of town. Where, you know, also time of day. If you're in the middle of rush hour, you know, eight thirty on, on a Monday morning, people will not want to stop. They want to get to work. Um, so be a bit clever about where you're going to make your life easier as well, because the, easy, the easier you make it for yourself, the, the more bold you will be the next time and the more confident you'll be because you'll have got some good results. So find a place where people are enjoying themselves, you know, lunchtime, when people are hanging out outside a pub, for example, a bunch of people having a drink. They're all smiling. They're enjoying themselves. They're relaxed. They're with friends. They're not threatened. So if you walk up, you're a bit of entertainment for them. You're like, excuse me, I'm a photographer. I'm, I'm trying to get shots of interesting people I meet today. Would you mind if I took a picture of you and your friends? So straight away, they know who you are. They feel, um, they feel quite um, special because you said you, you're looking for pictures of interesting people. So they think, oh, wow, that's quite cool. I'm an interesting person. Uh, they're with their friends. They've had a drink. Their inhibitions are low. They'll be happy to sort of just smile for you for a picture. And if they don't, it's not a big deal. You just say thank you and you move on. So I think the first thing is think of where and when you're asking people um, if there's a food fair going on or some entertainment, if there's a busker somewhere in town and people are stopping and watching a street performer or something, that theme of performance is in the air because people are watching it. So if you engage with them, it, they feel like they're part of a show. Um, um, I, I think that's the first thing. Just just be careful of um, what time of day you do it and, and the environment in which you're doing it. But then in terms of people themselves, I've always found that if someone is really good looking, and has really made an effort to look good, they're usually happy to have their picture taken because they're really vain. As simple as that. <laughs> it's as simple as that. And the, the weird thing is... Not me. I mean, I look amazing, but I'm not vain. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you're, you're the exception to the rule, Graham. Yeah. Um, but that, that, it's a weird contradiction because, you know, you usually think that, you know, some, as in terms of when you see someone looking really amazing, you think, my God, that person will never even give me the time of day. But usually people like that are usually, you know, posing for selfies throughout the day themselves anyway, um, as they put pictures of themselves on Instagram. So male or female, if they're looking good, A, they'll be flattered that you say, excuse me, wow, you look great. I love your hat. Those sunglasses are really cool. I love your tattoos, whatever. 
And then if you say, would you mind if you take, if I take your picture, it's for my Instagram or I'm a street photographer, immediately they, they get affirmation because A, you've told them they're good looking, which is what they're desperate to be. Um, and B, they, you know, they're good looking enough to almost take a picture of them. So you have to remember that as well. When, when you're taking a picture of somebody, it's not, you're not the person having to do all the work. You know, you remember you're a photographer um, and people are quite flattered if you stop them and say, and pick them out and say, I would like to take your picture, because that's quite a rare thing. So, you know, you just have to jump into those moments. Um, What's yeah, a good go response? Because, I mean, the, the follow-up question would often be, or, or with people who are perhaps a little more guarded, well, why do you want to take my picture? Yeah, you, you've got to be ready for that and be be totally transparent. So my, mine is always right. I'm, I'm, um, I, do, I shoot a lot of street portraits. Today I'm taking pictures of people I find interesting. Um, this picture will probably end up on my, um, if, if I, if, if the picture comes out well, that's another point, you know, make, don't make people think you're desperate for their picture. You'd like their picture, but only if it comes out well, suddenly they're like, okay, well, I'm going to have to work for this. It's just a clever little spin on, on the thing that makes them feel that it's not as straightforward and that they've got to kind of help you a little bit. Um, so again, it makes, it elevates you as a street photographer as well, as someone who's like, who's, who's picky, you, you know, you're not just picking random people, you want it to work and be well. So you say, if, if, if this comes out well, it will go on my Instagram feed. And if you see it there, um, just get in contact and I'll send you a digital copy. Um, and that's what I do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it's as simple as that. And just keep it simple. It doesn't have to be complex because a lot of people, yes, they will be suspicious and that's fine, but just delay their suspicions, you know, um, you know, you know, people go, well, is it going to go on a book? And well, no, it's not, because I actually don't have the permission from you to do that. So I can't do that anyway. Um, but uh, I'd like it to go on my Instagram um, or, you know, it might go on my website if it, if it, if it comes out as a really good shot. Um, and then the key thing for them is if they have a return, bar, if they can share it somehow, then that's an exciting, you know, there's a transaction that takes place. It's called a value exchange in, in our marketing world. So you're getting something out of it and they get something out of it. They're getting a great picture from a, a great photographer that uh, they can share and tell all their mates about it. Oh, you know what happened to me today? This cool bloke took a picture of me in the street and he said I was an interesting person. That's an exciting change as the one's boring day. Yeah, uh, yeah. You have to always remember that, that see it from their point of view as well. It's, you're, you're there actually adding something interesting to their day. You know? So how important, because as I mentioned right at the beginning, you sent me your, one of your business cards. How yeah. integral to your approach is the idea of the business card? I mean, from, from just like myself looking at your card yeah. here, um, it would certainly give me a lot more confidence that yeah. you were actually were somebody like, oh, yeah, this is a, this is a real thing. I mean, there's, there's nothing on there apart from your name and your social links and hello, may I take your picture? And yet that almost absence of other fluff just goes, oh, this seems legit. Yeah, it's, um, well, it does a bit of psychology behind. Firstly, the shape of the card is different to a standard business card. So it's a company called Moo. They do these things called mini cards. So they're just a bit slimmer. So they're like a little strip of cardboard as opposed to a big business card. Um, so straight away, it's a different shape. So that makes it more interesting for them to hold. Um, oh, I'm really going to my marketing psychology here. <laughs> Secondly, I've used a bright yellow. So the, the font I've used is Helvetica and it's black Helvetica. And it sits on a bright yellow. And so it looks really innocent and happy. So it just says, hello, may I take your picture? It's a really polite, but happy and straightforward proposition that you're putting. And then on the back of the card, it just has my details, it has my name, my uh, website details, my social media details. So that way I can just point at the Instagram on it and say, right, you know, this is where the picture will be when, when I've taken it. 
I give them the card. Everything feels transparent. You know, they feel they've got a return path. They also know that you're not some weirdo just taking pictures and running away and doing something weird with them. You've given them your contact details. Um, so they've got nothing to lose, basically. Um, and also they know how to get in touch in the future. And the thing is, I've got through these cards, I've got interesting contacts um, through photography. You'd be amazed. And that's the other thing to remember. Make a card because you're a photographer. You want people to know that you're a photographer and go out and tell the world. And you don't know who you're talking to and you don't know who they know. Yeah. So it's actually worth doing it for that reason as well. Um, you know, you, you'll be amazed how many people get back to you and say, oh, my mate would love you to do some portraits of me, for example. Yeah. Uh, we love the picture you did. Um, and that whole <clears throat> process of actually putting this card together, it, that, that, especially if you're someone who's not very confident, makes you just, it, it's good affirmation for yourself to go, actually, you know what? I do belong here on the street and it's okay for me to do this. Yeah. Okay. So you've approached the right kind of people on the street. You've made the introduction. You've got your card across and you're now in a position where they said, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. What should people be looking to do? And I know that the officers will just take their picture now, but actually, what what should that involve? You know, when well, when you've got somebody who's actually up for doing this. Okay. Well, the, the great thing is now, if they've agreed, then they are giving you permission. Now you are directing them. You are in control now, and so that's a great moment. The the uh, the 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 instinct, and I do it all the time, is to bloody panic and fluff and go, oh god, god, quick, 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 panic. Just relax a second. Imagine you've got like a minute to take a photo with them. Right. That's actually quite a lot of time. So you can look at where the situation you're in. Personally, I, I will use a lens that's usually maybe between 35 and 70 uh, mil. I won't go any um, any longer than that because you end up standing really far back. You might block a pavement and all sorts of things can go wrong. Um, so keep it quite a short um, focal length. Um, so you're not you, you can be stay quite close to your um, subject. Secondly, just um, just be careful where you're standing when you stop that person so that you know if they stop that you can then just get to stand against that shop awning or near that shop window or just out of the way of traffic so that you're not in anyone's way and then that just takes the pressure off you. And then literally just tell them what you want them to do. You know, keep an eye on where the sunlight is. Um, you don't want the sunlight behind you, obviously. Um, I usually, if on a bright day, I'll pull them into slight semi-shadows so that they haven't got, we don't get bright contrast in the shots. Uh, keep an eye on in reflections. But just, again, you know, what you could do is find an area on a street, a busy street, where you just hang around and just stop people. So as soon as they stop, you can just turn them and position them in a place where they're not in the way. And you know you've got a nice nice background. I'll normally shoot at around F4, F5. So I've got some nice blurring behind, but not heavy, you know, not a tiny, tiny short depth of field, which you know makes it difficult for me to focus. Um, the other thing I'll do is I'll usually shoot with two cameras. So I'll have an SLR. And I'll get my main shot, but then I'll have a point and shoot. And I might just get something slightly different. So I've just got two shots of the person. Um, and, um, yeah, it's as simple as that, really. You know, and, and the thing is to have confidence because they, they've given you permission now. So they want direction. So that in itself is a great experience to just find a total stranger. And you're now telling them how to pose. Um, the other thing I've found is that a lot of the time people will automatically smile and I gen usually hate pictures when people are just grinning to camera. It looks so yeah. fake. Some people though, you know, if they've got lots of smile eye, smile lines around their eyes, they're natural smilers and it's just, that's fine. Let them do that. Mm. But I like, I, I, I will say to them, right, don't smile. And immediately you get a different kind of moody look and I say, right, look right into the lens, you know, um, and just control it and be that, you know, talk to them, you know, 
go go all David Bailey on them. It doesn't matter for that moment because you're they're now part of that this little bit of theatre that's happening on the street. Yeah, and it's really exciting for them um, that this is happening to them. You know, it's an experience for them as much as it is for you. It it feels like both with the posing and getting people where you want them, and also just the general handling of your kit that it, it's important for this to be something that you are well practiced at um, before you go and engage people on the street with this. Um, are, are there good ways to get uh, better? Because I mean, I, I, you were talking about how flustered you can get in the moment. And I know when we were at the photography show, um, yeah. And I and people who've listened to that show will know that at one point I collared a couple of random passers by and essentially did the street photography thing only with audio. I went, I'm just going to ask these people, and um, and I got super flustered by it. Um, yeah. Any tips on how you can uh, either practice to mitigate that, or or steps to take so that when it comes to when you've done the really hard part of approaching and getting that engagement that you then can behave in a competent manner well i mean i would say work with a lens that you're an account firstly a camera that you're really familiar with don't make your life difficult you know um you might have a super sexy camera that you want to use but if your day-to-day camera is the one that you're happy with just use that because you know what your results will be even better you know, people at the end of the day a good shot is a good shot it's not about the quality of the shot it's the content if someone looks great in a shot they're going to look great in it irrespective of what what lens it's been shot with as long as it's reasonably in focus um i don't even necessarily think focus is dead on focus is actually an imperative either um but also um i shoot um i i, I shoot aperture priority i'll just shoot uh, pick an aperture i like pick a film with the latitude that's not punishing you you know, on a dark winter's day, don't go with an ISO 50 film. Just make your life easy. Go with an ISO 400 um, and just shoot at F4, F7, F8. You know, what? keep an eye. Just know, have your camera sort of ready for the light situation where you are. So just keep an eye on the viewfinder. What kind of situation am I in here? Uh, what, what, what's, what's my shutter speed if I'm shooting at F4, F5? Uh, can my camera handle this? Or do I need you to go up to, you know, F8 to slow things down a bit? Um and um, mainly, I usually I, I'll shoot with an um, ISO 400 film because then I can, you know, um, slow things, you know, have a, a much wider, um, sorry, yeah, wider aperture and um, just get, get nice shots. I, I just don't like to make things difficult, make it as easy as possible. Yeah, no, that sounds like very good advice. Um, have you found that shooting film has given you a, a good in with people or at least made them perhaps more inclined to be engaged um with you when you're doing this yeah yeah i i i the other day i just bought a, a big dslr the other day i got a nikon d850 and i went out with it you know with lovely lenses and i got some nice shots and things but what i've found is that, again people walking the street always see people with the dslr if they see someone with a cool, cute little film camera, that becomes interesting and it's quirky and it's different. Um, and I think people like the idea of having a photograph. And that's the other part is when I tell people that I've taken their photo and I said, look, I give them my card and I say, right, this is a film camera. So if the f- shots come out, they'll come out in a few weeks and I'll put them on my um, Instagram site. And then if you see, you can... Um, you know, get in touch and I'll send you a copy. And they love that idea that it's film. It's not going to happen immediately. 
and they're going to get a shot on film. How, how often do people get a photograph of themselves on film? It's just an incredibly rare thing. So again, that adds to the novelty um, of the whole thing. I mean, when I had my Leica M7, you know, people would go, wow, that's a Leica. You know, that, then they felt, oh, I'm quite privileged to be shot by Leica, I think. But that's quite a rare thing. But the, the, the point is, these cameras look great. Old, old film cameras just look fantastic. And you don't have to have an old, you know, an old Rolleiflex or TLR or anything. It doesn't yeah. really matter what you're shooting with. The point I think is, uh, is that you need to be relaxed because and the thing I learned most in stand-up is that your audience wants you to succeed. Yeah. So if you're on a stage, if you're in front of strangers and you're engaging with them, they don't want to see you fail. Most people aren't sick like that. You know, you get the odd heckler, but even a heckler knows what they're doing. If you're, if you're doing stand-up, they want to, you know, they, the heckler is out there to actually make a fool of themselves because they want to get a great comeback. They're not there to hurt your feelings. They're just there to have a bit of fun. But, you know, people want you to succeed. Uh, so the majority of people um, will happily do what you want them to and will happily, you know, engage with you and will happily just be polite and just say, no, thank you. I'm really busy, but thank you for asking. Um, and so getting the opportunity to shoot someone is great, but also being rejected is really important. And, you know, you, you will be... Generally, I get about 70 to 80% hit rate um, because most people are quite decent. Uh, most people don't mind. Um, but if you get rejected and people say no, um, yes, it can get you, you know, hit your confidence a little bit. But they, they have every right in the world to say no. They might be busy. They might just not want to be in the, in the mood to have their picture taken. And that's fine. And you just have to take that. And that's a learning in itself. So when you get a no, it doesn't mean, no, you're a crap photographer and I hate your guts. It just means, no, because I've got other things on right now and it could have been a yes, but not just at this moment. So sorry, mate, you know? Yeah. Um, so you have to take learnings from every bit of it and that will make you stronger um, for, for the next time. But, but, you know, you don't get me wrong. You get two or three no's in a, in a row and it can be a bit dispiriting. But I would say just just get on with it because you end up with a, a few yeses. You always will do. I guarantee it. Absolutely guarantee it. And then you'll think, holy shit, that was actually worth it. I actually got something out of that. And you realize that you'll get out of it what you put into it. It's as simple as that. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Well, I would strongly recommend that anybody who has any interest, whether they're already um, doing street photography or whether they it's something they want to have a go at, or maybe it's a thing that they've always been afraid of having a go at, um, and want to try and find ways to overcome it, should absolutely check out your article. Um, I was listening to the Classic Camera Revival show last week and um, they were talking about interactions that they've had whilst um, out shooting film. And, you know, they were certainly varied, but um, I think it does give you a bit of a head start when you're shooting film because, as they said on their show, you know, people go, oh, you're, you're shooting film and you want to spend one of your frames on me. You know, it makes yeah. people feel... Um, Rach, you're, mm. you know, have you got any questions or any thoughts on the street photography side of things? Because I think you're, you're like me, you're not big on street portraits. Um, <laughs> you got any thoughts on this one? It's it's something that, you know, as, as yourself and Aidan and myself have talked about in the past, that I think we'd all like to be better at. And um, I've definitely found your article, Anna, really, really useful. I mean, oh, you. as you as you've said, you know, a lot of it is common sense and it's and definitely, you know, when I'm reading it through, I'm going, yes, that that definitely makes sense. And um and I guess it's just the it's just the doing it. It's just the getting out there and yeah, doing it. Really. I, it's I think you the, the the best 
the big question to always ask yourselves is what what is stopping me what is the thing about me that mm-hmm. makes me not want to do it and be honest with yourself mm-hmm. and usually it will come back down to quite a few specific things that are incredibly common you know one is I, I don't want to feel embarrassed in public mm-hmm. you know I, I don't want to be rejected um, mm-hmm. I don't want to someone to swear at me or cause a scene in the middle of the street yeah. but then you know especially with photography um you will again the results you'll get and just imagine the better way to look at it is how will you feel when you know if you just ask a few people and one of them agrees to getting a picture and then suddenly you've done something and you've got something in your on your um roll of film that you've never done before and each yeah. shot gives you confidence for the next one and don't get me wrong i have days where i'm just not not into it i just i you know i just you know what i'm just going to shoot bloody sea today i'm just going to shoot the distant horizon <laughs> put my camera on f16 i'm not kidding you and just yep. point it out there and i'll be happy doing that today not looking at a single human being but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but yeah. i i look back at my photos i've taken i've got these total strangers looking into the lens and the other thing is it's a really enriching thing right and and that this is this is the other point of this i love to meet other human beings and speak to them and engage with other people mm. and have a chat with someone I never would have stopped and chatted with in the street. Mm. And yeah. especially in this world of, you know, social media and everyone's hiding behind a keyboard and a screen and a, a persona online, the photography gives us the opportunity, A, to get out there and B, to engage with the world. And I think more so film photography than digital photography, photography because it's this analog and this physical medium there's something about it that just begs for you know us to sort of speak to each other. You know, mm. I love the fact that what you guys are doing with um, Sunny Sixteen. Uh, you know, you've got off your own backsides. I mean, Jesus, how many people would go? Right, you know what? Let's just make a podcast about photography and do it religiously every week for no money. And you, you guys are doing something amazing. You know, how many people would do that? So you're already oh, doing something that not many <laughs> people would ever think. Right, or get up in the morning and decide to do. You know, it's an incredibly bold thing you're doing. Um, all foolish (laughs) no but but this is the point you you don't try and you don't get and look at the success you've had and look at the 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 engagement you've had from people and the excitement you've created I love your podcast I you know I love getting on the train and think oh brilliant I've got this brilliant you know two hours of these guys rambling on and talking about film and cameras and (laughs) I love it Um, so don't 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 underestimate yourselves I think you know if you've got a camera and you're out there you belong there and that's really nice yeah Yeah, no it's, it's good you should do it um I do have one quick question, which is about um, posing your subject. Um, do you have any go-to poses? Do you have anything that, you know, when they're like, oh, I don't know what to do with my hands or how to stand or, you know, that kind of thing. Is there anything you're like, yes, this is how to take control of that situation and what I'd suggest? I don't have, uh, you know, a lot of people go that, you know, either make a symmetrical shot or if it's a woman, make her stand in some sort of S pose or some sort of curve or, yep. you know, with the hands. I never do that because personally, I've always just found it, well, especially, uh, I think if you're doing a model shoot or something, mm-hmm. that stuff kind of makes sense. But I usually look at the person, yep. you know, and think, who is this person? Um, and it just, uh, you know, just, just, this stuff doesn't have to be arty. It's just straightforward. So, for example, there's a, um, I'm just looking at, at the, the article now, there's a, she was a Spanish um, girl. She had just had a cigarette and she was just holding it in this sort of fey fashion. It just looked great. And, mm. you know, she was happy to do that. But um, I, I actually don't mind too much. I'm happy for me. I, I actually just look at people's faces. I want their faces to be looking right down the barrel, right mm. into the lens, because I want to see into their soul. And I want to look at, I want to really focus beautifully on their eyes and I want to really see who they are as a person. 
and that's something I really enjoy. Interestingly, a lot of people just don't want to look down the lens. And so usually they'll say, what do you want me to do? And I'll say, right, ideally, I want you to look right down the camera, no smile, and just look in there. Um, if you don't want to do that, I don't mind, look away. Or And you, some people aren't confident. You can just you, can, you pick, up, pick that up very quickly. You know, you just say, well, look, just look where you like. I don't mind. Um, and just stand how you like. So I, I, you know, some people hands in their pockets, but usually mm. I, what I try to do is avoid, you know, big posy poses, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah that, that look fake, because I want this to look like this is someone who's just stopped in the street and mm. I've captured them. But the key thing I want to capture about them is who they are as a person. And for me, that comes from their face and their eyes and their natural expression, which is not going to be a big grin or, you know, yeah. peace, peace signs to the camera. Uh, but again, on that point, if they're teenage, you know, in fact, I won't say teenage because I don't really take pictures of teenage kids, but if there's someone younger and sort of cooler looking and that's who they are as a person, then that's fine. Um, you know, you're, you're going to have about a minute with this, this person, just maximize it. And, you know, you can mm-hmm. take a few shots. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and have a play. Don't, feel free to direct them. Um, don't worry. They'll, you know, they'll eventually go, oh, I've had enough now. And then that's fine. So thank you very much. You know, that's mm-hmm. been great because I've got some really good shots of you now because they want to make it work. If they've stopped, they want to make it work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's great advice, especially that thing of, you know, if you've already crossed the, the barrier of asking somebody and them saying yes, then make the most of it once you've got them. Um, well, thank you very much for that, Anil. That's awesome. We're going to take another quick break now and we will come back with a few emails and uh, and that's mostly it, really, a few emails. Right, back in a second. emails uh the first email we've got is from dan marinelli of the half frame club now this is perfect because you were saying earlier how much you like half frame photography i love Love it so love it it's like a a photographic sketchbook just all those shots to play with you can be less precious and uh, yeah i've got loads of half frame cameras yeah i had one half frame camera I've you, never had a half-frame camera, so we're, we're all the aspects of the scale. <laughs> if, if I ever get my half-frame camera back, um, I will I'll lend it to you and never get it back from you. That's the way it seems to go with this camera. Anyway, <laughs> Dan writes in, Good morning, Sunbeams. Been listening to your podcast for about a year now, and I must say it makes my 45-minute commute to work much more enjoyable. Your episodes with people like M, Stephen Dowling and Hamish Gill have inspired me to really take the bull by the horns and start trying to grow the Half Frame Club Instagram group I started about two years ago. Most recently, your episode on printing perseverance with Killian made me realise that I really needed to publish a zine to showcase some of the fabulous work the Half Frame Club is producing. So, writing today to ask if you can throw us a shout out on an upcoming episode and let the world know that the Half Frame Club is going to publish its first zine this summer and we are now accepting submissions. The zine will feature black and white half frame 35mm film photography from around the world. The theme is change and the due date for submissions is May the 1st. And people can visit www.halfframeclub.com for more info. Anyone can submit as long as it's 35mm black and white half frame photography. And anyone can join the club by using our hashtag, which is, unsurprisingly, hashtag half frame club when they post the half frame shots on Instagram. 
Sounds like one for me, definitely. It absolutely does. Um, yeah, I mean, as you said, Half Frame is amazing because <laughs> you get so much. The, the only reason I don't currently have my Half Frame camera, um, the story of which is far too long to go into on here, but basically <laughs> I picked up a little um, Pentax EE3 um, for five quid or something and, oh, this is great, but then realised that, if I put in the role of 36 exposures, then on a half frame camera, that's 72 shots. I'm never going to finish that roll of film. It's hard enough for me to get through 36. 72 is never going to happen. And so I, I sent it off to some other people to try and get them to shoot some of the roll of film as well. And um, oh, it hasn't come back yet. That's the point of half frame. That's the point of it. It makes you less precious and change what you're shooting and the way you shoot. It's, it's a really nice exercise. I call them sort of photographic sketchbooks. Mm. Yeah, half frame, half frame do camera. Tend, do, you, yeah. do you tend to go back with a different camera after you've, let's say, you've gone out with your half frame camera and shot that and used it as a sketchbook, and then once you process that, go actually, yeah, I'll go back and ca- recapture that, but with a different camera. Very rarely. I mean, um, I, I, I generally, <laughs> I'm usually going out with three or four cameras. I mean, you've got a bag full mm. of bloody cameras and trying to shoot <laughs> everything with everything. And this is a, yep. something for another podcast. But that whole thing of, you know, just being blinded by too many cameras, it, it can be a dangerous thing, can be fun. But um, I, I just love the... Can be bad for your back. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes. Um, the, the instantaneous nature of half frame where you're just not precious. You've got so many shots to play with. And you just go, you know what, this role is just going to be fun. And it just brings the fun back into, into into half frame. I've written a couple of pieces on half frame for 35 MMC um, on different cameras, but they're, they're just joyful things. I love them. Yeah, no, that sounds good. Well, Dan also says that he might be up for joining us at some point so we can hear what a real, real California accent sounds like. So that sounds good. Mm-hmm. I'd be interested to hear if he says dude more than I do. Probably not. <laughs> very few people do. Um <laughs> Okay, so thank you very much for that, Dan. And just to remind everybody the that um, the submission date, the submission deadline for that is the 1st of May. So just go to um, halfframeclub.com to find out more information. Okay, Rach, do you want to read the next email from Dave Lasivita? Yeah, sure. Um, so David says, um, hey, Sonny's, I was hoping you could help me with my latest acquisition. I recently brought, uh, I recently bought a Ricoh Elnica 35 as my first rangefinder. It is a strange, fully automatic camera. <laughs> I set the ASA and the camera makes the rest of the decisions. The meter is one of those orange lights that indicates if there's enough light to make an exposure. I believe that you press the the release down a small bit and the light goes on as a battery test. When you half press, the light goes off, indicating the camera can make a good exposure, whatever that means. If the light stays on, then it's recommended you don't try to take the picture. Here's my situation. When I'm in great light outside, sunny, then it performs as expected. But sometimes when the light isn't perfect, but uh, but the meter light still stays Um, sorry, still turns off, indicating it can make a good exposure. The shutter opens but never closes fully until I release the shutter. If I cover the light sensor and press the release, the shutter opens all the way for about half a second, then closes to a smaller aperture. I believe this happens often, but to varying degrees depending on the light. Do any Sunnies have any experience with this camera or a similar automatic camera? I like using it, but I can't get consistent results. Says thanks very much from Dave Lesavita. Uh, what, what was the model? It's, it's the Rico Elnica 35. Is this one you've come across? No. Uh, it's, um, 
So no, El I, Mika. I feel oh, I should... El Mika 35. Hang on. Yes. I'm just going to look at an image of this online. So, yeah, this okay. is not a camera that I've come across, certainly. This, this looks like a classic 70s sort of automatic range finder, of which there are millions. I think that one of the things, it could be a, it's just that the... Um, Battery? The, well, it could be that the wrong battery, because some of those take batteries that aren't made anymore. So if you put the wrong battery in, you're going to get the wrong power out, power into the sen- and into the light meter, uh, which then makes it meter wrong, wrong, wrongly, inaccurately. Um, or uh, it could just be that uh, a lot of these things have those old selenium light cell meter things uh, that if the cap's been left off over the years, that the meter's just it's just sort of faded a bit and semi-died. So you may just have inaccurate metering, or it just could be knackered. I think that's my that's my that's my technical uh, view on the thing. I mean, yeah. you can get the selenium light meters replaced, can't you? That kind of thing, if you need can to. You? I think I think you can, but um, it's very expensive. It would not. I don't think on a camera like that it would necessarily be something that's um, cost-effective, yeah. shall we say. It's a very basic camera. I'm looking at it online here. Yeah. It's a nice-looking um, yeah. camera. It's got a quick mm. enough lens as well, so it's probably got a good lens in there. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, my suggestion would be don't shoot it in bad light. If it's working well outside, shoot, shoot it outside. If any of our listeners have got any more familiarity with this camera, please do write in and let us know. It is not one I had heard of before today. Um but as you said, there were there were quite a few um, different cameras of similar ilk around the time. It's you know, it looks almost like nineteen seventies, I think. Yeah, yeah like mid seventies. Seventies semi-automatic automatic rangefinder. Yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of the evolution of things like the Olympus strip and stuff like that. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, if any listeners do have any advice we can share with Dave, please do get in touch. Um, but otherwise, Dave, yes, your best bet is probably just going to be. <laughs> Dig to the sunlight with that one. Okay, our next email is from where are we? Da, 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 da. Um, Andrew. Andrew Bart. No, never. No anyway, good meaning. Fair beams from the sun. I trust this <laughs> finds you all well. What a great pleasure it was to meet the full team at the recent photography show. Uh, Graham and Rachel, I've had the honour of meeting, pre- and it is an honour, I'm glad you put that in there, of meeting previously, <laughs> but to meet the esteemed aide was just lovely. It was a really fun day with loads of new friends met, and I smiled at the recollection of Graham about two hours into our meeting, starting to insult all the folk who had turned up, just like he does on the show. <laughs> Uh-huh. Um, it's reassuring to know that he's just the same in real life to be honest I think it was more like 10 minutes in but um, Aid was the quintessential gentleman and Rachel as engaging and lovely as ever Thanks. suck up <laughs> shout out to Alex Andrew, I'll take it I'm happy <laughs> Jeremy the real one Mark Stig and Toby VD <laughs> he put that not me Um, and his film loving daughter Kitty it's a shame Hillary couldn't make it as I haven't seen her in a while anyway just finished listening to the huge show uh, longest yet possibly but I think we broke that last week about lenses I have to say that had Graham been there from the beginning he may have made the comment it's you bloody digital shooters um, fitting classic lenses on digital bodies that are making the prices soar but he wasn't and he didn't in fact he hardly insulted the guest at all I know now this is what happened when I turn up late I'm just not on my game 
To be um, fair, you did say that to Simon to his face at the <laughs> photography show. So uh, yeah. don't worry, Andrew, it was covered. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I don't like insulting people, um, you know, at distance when there's the opportunity to do it to their face. It's much more fun. You get to see the expression. Um, excited to hear that Graham will win the Cheap Shots Challenge as Aid has bottled it out of the boys, of course. No doubt Rachel being a proper artist will trump both of you. No, she didn't. <laughs> Once again, <laughs> I have failed miserably to enter one day. Anyway, it was good to have the full team back. And despite her protest, Rachel remains the nose grease of the show. <laughs> the end. Oh, no, wait, hang on. Covering over cracks and scratches in the most professional and loving way. So keep up the splendid work, all of you. Best wishes from Andrew Bartram. Thank you very much, Andrew. And yes, I, I think of Rachel as the nose grease of the show too. So we're all on the same page there. Do I you appreciate want... the sentiment. <laughs> but <Andrew>. not the <laughs> sentence. Do you want to read this last one from the aforementioned Toby van der Velde, Rach? Sure. Um, okay, so this one starts. This, I, I'm really enjoying the variety of uh, introductions of, uh, of salutations and greetings that we get. That says, hi, Bimalucious. Um, it's been a while since I dropped you a line, so I thought I'd do so quickly. It was great to IRL, you three, plus the other listeners to the, uh, the photo show. Kitty very much enjoyed the day, too. Stig's photo of the five of us is fantastic. Um, yeah, he's recently put some of those up, actually, hasn't he? Which is really nice. Um, he says, I bought some Ilford Ilford Speed Grade 3 paper recently and then did some working out of pinhole size versus focal length. The great news is I now have an equation for making ceramic pinhole exposures. The graded paper is helping a lot with the contrast and I'm plugging away. The only drawback being I can only make one exposure a day as I don't have a light tight room to work in. I have to wait until it goes dark and then set up my gorilla dark room in the galley. Hope Aid is having an Italian time on his holidays and Rach and Jez are managing to not mess things up too much in his absence. TTFM from Tobe. <laughs> That's from Toby Vandervelde. So, uh, yeah, thanks ever so much for the uh, for the email, Toby. And, um, yeah, I have actually I've really enjoyed um, seeing your experiments with the ceramic pinhole exposures. I realised that we didn't, I don't think we mentioned this actually um, on the previous show, but Toby was very kind and brought along a little gift for us uh, to the photo show where he'd actually created some ceramic tiles and had used cyanotype um, solution in order to uh, to make some uh, some prints for us. And he made one that was in three pieces over three different tiles and each of us got a piece, didn't we? Yes. It's lovely. Yeah, no, very nice. No, uh, um, I, I think my partner has now got mine and she's waiting for Toby to make enough to do the rest of the bathroom. So <laughs> just get on that, Toby. That would be great. No, that's lovely. And um, yes, it has been great seeing uh, the, the pictures um, as, as he's really got the exposures nailed down from his ceramic pinhole. I saw one today of some teddy bears he'd taken. The teddy so bears, right. yeah. Is, is, is sort of experimenting with pinhole and stuff like that, has, is that something that swung into your field of view at some point, Anil? Well, interestingly, I uh, bought. Um, can I say the D word, digital? Yeah, I bought a um, a pinhole, an adjustable pinhole thing for my DSLR, um, and I've messed around with it a bit, but uh, I don't think it's quite achieved what I wanted it to. So I, I've you, looked you into. You don't it, it hasn't, don't you? It's because you put on a digital. What a I know, fucking I know. Oh, a pinhole of I all know. things. It, I I um I remember one of your earlier. Uh, podcasting you're talking about your was it an undo you had yes oh yes yeah and that 
That just sounds really interesting. So I, that's something I'd like to look into. But um, I, I'm trying at the moment, if anything, to to sort of not look too much for things on the internet because I end up just buying other cameras and you know I don't even use the ones I have enough yet at the moment so I'm trying to if anything slow down a little bit more well you know good news Anna you can make a pinhole camera out of anything (laughs) shoebox a a coconut I did one for as a coconut out of a coconut uh, last year yeah I made one out of pepper it was you made one out of pepper (laughs) you didn't use a red pepper though did you Graham this is the mistake Uh, it was right there in front of you um actually it's funnily enough this leads us um on to something that we missed before which was to say that worldwide pinhole photography day is coming up actually um on the 29th of April so maybe that's maybe that's a good excuse Anil for you to have right, a 29th I'm, I'm making note of that maybe I'll see if I can do something on that day yeah, if you go to pinholeday.org you can uh, you can find what else other people do but yeah don't, don't buy one just make, make one. one out of something yeah, yeah. You, you, your first pinhole should definitely be one you make yourself it's so much fun and you can get such a long way with it as well it's a whole new realm of dicking around you can get and we've got another um, date in the diary, haven't we, Rach? In fact, if you're listening to this on the Thursday when it comes out, which you definitely should be, I mean, everybody should be rushing to their podcast catchers to download this as soon as it hits. But today is, uh, hang on a second, I want to make sure I say this right. Today is Film Photography Day. Now, I didn't even know this was a thing <laughs> because I assume that every day is basically Film Photography Day. But there you go. Today is Film Photography Day. Rach, do you know more about this? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Happy film photography day, everyone. Yes, happy film photography. Who decided that? Was that like some? I think it was Lomography, actually, who who decided that the 12th of April is film photography day. But I did see it come up, and I have seen it in the past um, on previous years. I realised that actually the the link that I put into our show notes is from 2016, but I know that it is definitely um, on the 12th of April, um, whatever day that ends up being each year, um, that they've classed as film photography day. So, so um, sometimes it's just nice, actually. And yes, I know that obviously, you know, for, for people who uh, wouldn't necessarily always shoot with film anyway, um, you know, partly they may not um, come across it. But, you know, on the flip side of that, it means that maybe there's other people who normally would be shooting digital who might go, oh, what's this weird thing? This new hashtag that's trending. Who knows? Yeah. Um, and check out some film photography instead. You never know. It might ignite a little bit of um, little bit of inspiration there or a, a sense of curiosity. So uh, so who knows? Yeah. And I'm just gonna, I know this is 2016 that you've given us the link to, so well done, Brewster. But anyway, <laughs> um, it says in here, uh, this is uh, it's probably much the same, enjoy a rocking lineup of festivities packed with parties, workshops, special deals, rumbles and inspiring talks aren't rumbles where you go around and beat a up fight. opposing gangs <laughs> like bikers with chains yeah. beating each other up is this where we go i'll have that final roll of a cross <laughs> <laughs> I, I was thinking wow. where we're going after the digerati this is it this is where we take back the fight incidentally um this is a very short aside here and i don't want to go into this in any depth but um did either of you guys see the hoo-ha that briefly blew up around the uh, American photography store Adorama posting mm-hmm. yes. an article on their website about why is anybody shooting film? It's, it's silly or words to those effect. Um, and the subsequent climb down and multiple apologies they had to make. Oof. Very It's a strange, it's a strange article. I, I don't... I don't it, the, the thing I don't get about 
people it, it's not a competition you can shoot yeah. a film and digital <laughs> it's not one or the yeah. other jesus it's you can listen to mp3s and collect vinyl you yes. know yes. calm down everybody it's yeah. it's no one's forcing anybody's hand here just enjoy it yeah that's the Hashtag point or, shoot film be nice yeah exactly <laughs> shoot film be nice. although you know i mean if you are a large photography store and have been quite enjoying the digital age and the right, fact exactly. that every yeah. new year new cameras come out and it's constantly being updated the idea of people maybe getting back into film might not be very appealing because yeah, it's, it's almost might... as if they had another motive wasn't it it's weird really weird I think um, a big part of it was the the um controversy over the the stolen photo as well you know obviously that's um that's that's not ideal um no, <laughs> to be no. uh, to be reappropriating somebody's work without yes, saying they, where it's from <laughs> yes they, they uh borrowed let's say a photograph mm -hmm. from ken rockwell's blog which was a little mistaken but uh you know that's fine i mean who, who cares what they have to say we, we will enjoy the fact that our little hobby is doing quite well thank you if nothing else it can be evidenced by the sheer number of um analog photography podcasts that i am now able to find and enjoy Joy. So um, yeah. we, we I, I checked out um, Studio C41 recently. They had mm -hmm. an interview on there with um, the guy who's bringing the new Street Candy film to market. So that was good. Um, oh, I've got a few rolls of that. Oh, well, I will be. Have you tried have it you yet? Have shot any yet? Yeah, I've shot some. Uh, what was it on my uh, contacts? Uh, RTS2. So I've got to get that developed. But yeah, fingers crossed. It's Yeah, it's some sort of security camera. Yeah, film, isn't it? So, did, yeah. I, I understand it's very thin film because they had to try and get so much of it into the um, machine yeah. that was shooting it. Did it feel particularly thin and flimsy? Or well, it, rolling it into the, the the contacts is fine because the, it rolls positively. You you feed it in positively. It doesn't sort of go back on itself. So it, I, I wasn't worried of breaking it or anything. Mm. It felt quite straightforward. So. Yeah, I'm just interested to see what the results are like. Cool. I look forward to hearing that. And another one yeah. um, which I haven't had a chance to listen to yet, but I recently found out is a, cam is a podcast called The Box of Cameras. Um, so give Ooh. them a check out too, because, you know, uh, why not? There's, there's Spread the love. Spread the love, exactly. It's all people talking about the thing that they care about. So, um, yeah, there's loads of good shows out there. And, and as I said, the most recent episode of uh, the Classic Camera Revival is also full of uh, entertaining stories of people getting into trouble um, with random rednecks, it seems like. Uh, so that was also well worth listening to. Right, that will do us for this week on that <laughs> delightful end note. Um, Anil, thank you so much for joining us and uh, sharing all your thoughts with us on your photography and your new photo book and all your hints and tips on street photography. Can you tell us again about where people can get hold of the photo book? Uh, yes, um, you can go to my website, my photography site, which is uh, www.anilmysteryphoto.com. That's A-N-I-L-M-I-S-T-R-Y photo.com and click on the shop button. There you go. It's as easy yeah. as that. Um, and what about uh, Twitter and Instagram? Do you want to give those uh, a shout out as well? Yeah, I'm on all those things. So uh, Twitter at Anil Mystery, A-N-I-L-M-I-S-T-R-Y. Instagram, I'm at Anil Mystery Photo. And um, I even have a Facebook page, uh, Anil Mystery Photography. If you type that in, you'll, you'll find it. Uh, but my main site is animalmysteryphoto.com. You find um, connections to everything else I do. Perfect. I think you had a couple of um, extra shout outs that you wanted to mention, didn't you, as well, Anil? Yes. We finish. 
Well, firstly, I'd like to thank uh, the two of you and Sunny16. It's so kind of you to have me on the show. Um, I feel really privileged and it's just so nice to be a part of this this whole film thing. It's, um, you know, I've only started doing this in earnest over the past few years. And for me, film is it's a very therapeutic thing. Um, but it's just, just so enjoyable um, away from this sort of day job. And though it connects mm. with the day job, I just love the people I've met and the, the passion and, you know, you guys, again, I said it earlier, you're, you're doing this all for free. This is out for the love of the thing. And everyone listening should appreciate and respect that and, you know, get involved and help out because it's it's so lovely. And I think that the thing that attracts me to all this is the community. I love going out on photo walks. I love meeting total strangers and just, you know, geeking out over a, a, a ca- and, you know a camera that's 50 <laughs> years old. I love that. Yeah. it's just so much fun and um i i love the you know the the mindful moment of just looking through a viewfinder it's just such a lovely thing to do and meeting people who appreciate that um also i'd just like to say thank you to um people who've been very supportive and let me write on their websites and uh, blogs and things so you know um hamish gill 35 mmc you've given me lots of opportunities so thank you mate um also m thank you for giving me space um ilford photo as well um and also um uh, Stephen, uh, Cosmo Photo, well, we've had a few chats about things and hopefully I might be writing a few bits and bobs with you in the future and um, other stuff. So um, thank you very much, all of you. It's, it's just really nice to be a part of this. That's really cool. And and you're very welcome. And it's been lovely to have you here. And, and I've, I've realised that actually what we should do, Graham, is we should get some of these um, little business cards that say, hello, may I take your picture and say, hello, may you be on our podcast? <laughs> Maybe <laughs> Maybe that's the new one. Uh, no, I want to get to one that says, um, shut up, I want to talk. That's what my business cards will say. <laughs> hello, do you have vodka? <laughs> yes, hello, do you have vodka? <laughs> if not, jog on. Um, <laughs> but no, those business cards are great. We, we probably, when we went to the photography show, we probably should have had something along those lines saying, yes, hello, please, will you be on our podcast? It would have been a good idea. Ah, uh, well, next time. <laughs> we'll be more organised. There's always next year. There's yes. always next time. And there's always next week as well, listeners, which is when we will be back again. Um, Aid will be back with us next week, which will be fantastic. And we have got another awesome guest lined up to join us. Um, until then, you will find us uh, in all the usual places. Sunny16 Podcast on Instagram and Twitter and on Facebook. And Sunny16Podcast at Gmail. .com if you want to write to us and please do and as we always say we love hearing from people who haven't written before Rach we never ask you what's your um, Instagram and Twitter handles so people can go and find <laughs> you if they want to see what you're up to sure so on Twitter I'm R-E Brewster B-R-E-W-S-T-E-R and on Instagram I have two Instagrams one is Little Vintage Photography and the other one is The Vintage Caravan Photo Booth perfect and of course as always we want to say thank you very much rachel for uh, allowing us the use of your wonderful song promises i should have kept by your band Rocha, um, which you will find on itunes and amazon and spotify and wherever good uh, modern mariachi music is found mm-hmm. and that is it listeners um as i said we'll be back next week until then from myself and rachel and from anil thank you very much and goodbye Bye. 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 <laughs> <laughs>